Good morning. Our scripture reading is from John 8, 31 through 36. John 8, 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I get to serve on staff here at Trinity. So grateful to be with you today. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. We've been doing a, uh, a study through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is one of the, what's called the four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they give a, a kind of a narrative, a description, a, a look at the life of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Jesus' call to follow me. That whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They would be his disciple. Someone who has made a decision to apprentice under Jesus. To follow him with their life. You know, Jesus has always been about making disciples. As soon as his ministry started, he called 12 random men to follow him. And the church, when it began, was about making disciples, and nothing has changed. We here at Trinity, we exist, and we talked about our vision statement last week. Do you remember that? We exist to make and mature followers of Jesus for the good of others. We are about making disciples, and I hope you're excited about that. I hope you pray for that. I hope you long for that, that people would come to Trinity to hear Jesus for the first time, that they turn their lives over to him, and together we live life together in this process of being made more in the image of Jesus to become a disciple of him. But this idea of following someone, of living under their teaching and authority, runs counter to our culture today. The prominent worldview we find ourselves in here in America is the belief that independence is the key to life. Live how you want to live. You do you. YOLO, as they used to say. Don't let yourself be constrained by man-made systems such as monogamy, marriage, family, religion, a single job. I mean, and why would you ever think that a book written 2,000 years ago should have any influence on your life today? Because we have progressed so much as a culture. Don't give in to archaic, outdated, irrelevant, misguided, and out-of-touch writings such as the Bible. The idea is to find your own truth. Be the hero of your own story. These are the messages we're given today. Create your own brand. In other words, be your own God. But at the core of this thinking is a deep God-given desire to be free. I mean, we're all looking for freedom, fulfillment, joy, purpose. I don't think there are many people out there that 
would deny that this is kind of central to who we are and what I'm after. I want to feel fulfilled in my life. The world's view of freedom is to reject outside influences and find that freedom from within. But as Christians, we believe that when we find Jesus, we find ourselves, our true selves, who we are created to be. In other words, when you made a decision to follow Jesus, that was your dependence day, right? In America, we are all about freedom, but when you choose to follow Jesus, you go, no, no, it's not about me anymore. My life is dependent upon him. And the upside down message of the gospel says that when we find this freedom, when we find this dependency, um, that is when we are truly alive and truly who we were created to be. And this is where Jesus is going to take us in this passage. So if you're taking notes, I want to invite you, we're going to look at three points today, rest, reflect, and redeem. Rest, reflect, and redeem. Now in John 8.30, it says that Jesus was saying these things and many people believed in him. Okay, so apparently they're attracted to his message. They're being drawn to him. This is in stark contrast. If you remember a couple weeks ago, John 6, Jesus gives this teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and the people go, yeah, that's a little too much, and a lot of them leave. And he's essentially saying there, you got to have all of me. But he's teaching in John 8, and they seem to be attracted, but there are still questions. They're still going... Man, questions about his authority and who he is. And so we come to John 8, 31. It says this, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Point number one, to rest. God's main vehicle for bringing us to an understanding of who he is, is the Bible. This word abide means to stay to remain, to be rooted. And I want to bring us, I want to take a look at Psalm 1. It's obviously the first psalm, and it is a very famous psalm, and it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, the instruction of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Let me ask you, where's the place that brings you the most rest? Where do you go, when I'm here, my soul is at peace? I find fulfillment. I find joy. This is the picture we get here of the tree that is rooted down next to a beautiful stream of water, and there is fruit, and there is prospering of this tree. That is the picture we get of someone who abides, who stays, who remains, who finds deep rest and fulfillment in the word of the Lord, who pays attention to his instruction. But the wicked, you get the sense of like, man, they're blown around like the wind. All these different ideas, the latest idea of the day, this is where I'm at, and it changes depending on your culture, your location, your ethnicity, your gender, this dependent upon where you're at. You're blown to and fro. But the person who puts their trust in the word of the Lord is rooted 
down deep. But let me encourage you with this challenge that abiding in the law of the Lord takes intentionality and it takes discipline. Now, my dad is a part of this church. Many of you have met him. He was a teacher for like 30 years, but he was also a professional magician. And he worked at the Magic Castle for many years up in Hollywood. Has anybody ever been to the Magic Castle? It's this incredible, ancient, beautiful building, um, premier magic place in all the world. And he worked there while he was a teacher. And he spent hours and hours and hours of time alone. This is pre-Jeff. But by himself, (laughs) practicing magic. And I remember growing up being like, I want to be a magician. That sounds amazing. It was mainly because I wanted to impress people, mainly girls. But I thought, man, if you could do incredible magic tricks, that's amazing. But it was very quickly that I learned that that takes a lot of time. A lot of time alone practicing over and over and over again. So fast forward today, and I know one trick, and it's a pretty impressive one. No. But discipline and intentionality, right, led to him be able to do these tricks effortlessly. And you look at it and you go, I can't even believe that is not real magic. And it's the same time with the it's the same thing with the word of the Lord. Man, there is fruit, there is rest, there is fulfillment, but it takes discipline, it takes thoughtfulness, it takes time with him. In his word. And I want to encourage you, however, whatever that looks like for you, we do a Bible reading plan that goes out in an email. Whatever it, whether it's a quiet time, you're reading the Bible, none of that matters if you don't go, I'm setting this time aside because there's value and purpose. Because I believe that these are the words of God to rest. Point number two, if you're taking notes, to reflect. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know what? The truth. Isn't that what we all want? The truth. So as Christians, as people believe in Jesus, what is the truth? We believe we get truth from mainly the Bible. Consider this. The Bible cannot be controlled, changed, legislated. Doesn't change or shift with cultural ideas and norms protects us from false teachings and false directions. Through the Bible, we find community with one another as we study it, as we seek to live it out. This is what it means to be a church, as we come together as a community and study the Bible. It's authoritative and trustworthy. It's the anchor of our faith. In it, through it, we test everything. Test everything against the Bible. And lastly, it protects us from false teachings, false directions. But that's the main question, isn't it? If you're sitting here and you're a little skeptical and going like, there's a lot of books that have changed my life or have impacted me. What is so special about this one? Can I trust it? 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That means all scripture, we believe, are the very words of God written by men, but the words of the Lord. And let me, again, for those of you that go, "Mm, I'm not sure I buy into that, let me give you, really quick, um, 
six examples of why I think you can trust, or six reasons why I think you can trust the Bible. And I'm going to go pretty quick through these. Um, if, you'd like, if you'd like a fuller explanation, if you go, man, I'm tracking with that, or I'd like to learn more about this, send me an email, jeff at trinitysd.org. We'd love to send you further documents explaining some of these points. But let me give you six quick points why I think you can trust the Bible. Number one, evidence from prophecy. The Bible makes many predictions throughout it, specifically in the Old Testament. And as we look at the New Testament and the person of Jesus, Jesus fulfills over 60 messianic prophecies. It's the only religious book to provide prophecies that are fulfilled in the future. Okay? So the Bible itself gives credence to the Bible. Number two, evidence from unity. Bible consists of 66 books written over 1,500 years, 40-plus authors, a variety of circumstances, some that are in dungeons, jails, palaces, in the midst of battle, written by different people, lawyers, generals, rabbis, kings, doctors, using various languages, and for the most part, they had no idea what each other was writing. Each of the 66 books deals with a great number of controversial topics and doctrines. And in spite of all the variables... And the great number of controversial topics, when we look at the Bible, we find a unified whole as if it were written by one author. Evidence of unity. Number three, evidence from the writer's testimony. Specifically in the New Testament, the writers lived in poverty, were whipped, spent months in jail, and almost all of them eventually paid for their writings with their lives. The only motivation for these men to write about the miracles in the Bible was that it actually happened. Liars make lousy martyrs. They died for the truth. Fourth, evidence from historical investigation. This includes both archaeological discoveries as well as over 5,700 partial or full Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. We have Massive amounts of historical data supporting the historicity of the Bible. Number five, evidence from transformed lives. Many of you can attest to this. The Bible gives new life to individuals. People are dramatically transformed from its teachings. And lastly, evidence from the test of time. Bibles had to survive numerous attacks. Those who have tried to burn all the copies of the Bible or have spent millions and millions of dollars to try to discredit it. It has stood the test of time. I believe we can always trust the Bible as the word of God. It helps us see reality in our current cultural context. Tim Keller writes this. I thought this was a great quote. He says this, we don't get truth from a permissive society just as we don't get truth from an oppressive society. In other words, the Bible can live out the truth, its truth, anywhere. The Bible can push against the culture in America just as it can push against the culture in North Korea, Iran, Iraq. It's one of the beautiful things about this book. It doesn't matter the culture, the country, the regime. We anchor ourselves to the scriptures like trees planted by rivers of water. We let the Bible judge the culture and inform our lives. It is why the Bible is so important to us as Christians. All right, last point, redeem. Now, I know we've been on all three points in one verse, but we're going to start moving through the passage now. Jesus makes this claim about freedom. The truth will set you free. 
that it is free to know the truth and to know the truth is to be his disciples. And these Jews listening hear this word about freedom and they kind of perk up a little bit, right? They say this, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They start to turn on Jesus here. The you in this verse is emphatic, meaning that they are challenging him. And they're not challenging him because the implication he is, and they're challenging him because the implication he's making is that they are not free. And therefore they are enslaved. The Jews here believed that they were descendants of Abraham, and they would in turn inherit the kingdom of God. If you're familiar with the history of God's story in the Old Testament, you'll remember that God calls Abraham and and promises to provide him many descendants. But long after Abraham dies, a man named Joseph brings God's people to live in Egypt in peace and prosperity, but then something happens, do you remember? What happens in Egypt? They are enslaved. They're enslaved in Egypt. Many, many years later, they're eventually led out by a man, by a man named Je- uh, Moses. God rescues them. And then they're enslaved again by the Babylonians. So even though the Jews are here going, we've never enslaved, they kind of forget their own history. that They have been enslaved multiple times. And God is offering here once again to save his people. And not a temporary salvation, but an eternal one. He, say, he answers them here in 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let's go back real quick to our culture's definition or desire for independence. To not have dependence on anyone or anything is to be a slave to independence. Think about it. It rules you. It controls you. It prevents you from experiencing deep connection, intimacy, love, grace, support, care from others. Whatever we live for, whatever we make most important, whatever we put our ultimate value and dependence on, that is our master. That is our God. And so I want to ask you as you consider your life, the motives of your life, what do you put dependence on? What do you go, man, this is central to who I am? Job, relationships, fitness, right, status, the Lord, whatever it is, whatever we put the most dependence on, meaning if we said, man, we're going to remove this from your life, that that would cause you the most agony. That is where we put our dependence in our affection. And when it's sin, it holds us in bondage, becomes our master. Dependence on anything other than Jesus will make you a slave. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, the main of life is to come out of ourselves, out of this little dark prison we were all born into. That a sobering picture, out of this prison we're born into. But he also warned of coming to love the prison. That struck me. I was like thinking back on my life going like, man, there are times when my dependence on things going, I know this isn't right, but I kind of love this four by four box that I'm in. John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland, he says this, this is the human journey, the exodus from slavery 
to freedom. With Jesus as our new Moses, Jesus' offer was and still is to rescue and deliver us from the prison of sin and self, to lead us to a new land, a new life. And as we consider 35, a new inheritance. 35 says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom is not doing what we want to do. Freedom is doing what we were made to do, what we were created to do. And if you want freedom from your past, if you want to live with freedom in the present, There's only one way. There's truly only one way. No amount of effort, opportunity, willpower, or morality will give you this freedom that lasts. If you want freedom from your past, freedom from sin, you have to know and believe that you are a child of God. And it sounds so simple. But you have to know and believe deep within you, that you are a child of God, loved by the Father. And how do you become this child? By following the Redeemer, by following Jesus, by becoming his disciple. Romans 8, 17 says that that those who follow Jesus are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, we are sons and daughters of God with Jesus when we follow him. And I want to ask you this question that has been kicking around in my mind and heart for a couple months now. When you think about the love of God and becoming his child, do you believe you deserve this? Do you look at your life, your upbringing, your actions, your hearts, and do you believe you're worthy of his love? Do you believe you're lovable? Tim Keller has this quote, and if you take one thing from this sermon, I encourage you to write this down and sit with it for a week because I've been sitting with it. He says this, that faith is pride in the idea God had when he made you. Isn't that amazing? Faith is pride in the idea that God had when he made you, each of you. And we have access to be a son and daughter of the most king through Jesus. Not anything we can do, but because of what he did for us. Let me conclude with this. Last week, Jonathan mentioned that discipleship's kind of like bungee jumping, right? Do you remember that? He said, you can't kind of bungee jump. And he said, I've never bungee jumped, don't want to. Well, I have bungee jumped. Um, when I was in my early 20s, spent a couple months in New Zealand, and we went bungee jumping on the South Island of New Zealand, the southernmost part, this place called Queensland, Queensland, not Queenstown, Queensland. And the first ever commercial bungee jump, and it was this red bridge over this river. And you get up there. How many people have ever bungee jumped? Two, three? Okay. You get up to the platform, and I don't care how much courage you have. 
you're looking down at that bungee around your ankles and they're like, you got to go. And that is a 100% full commitment to jump off that stand. Full commitment. I remember getting up there and going like, you know, they take the deep breath and you're like, I just saw a lot of people do it as I was in line. But then you start to question whether it's going to hold you. And you have to make that full commitment to jump. And it, when you jump, I mean, there's a feeling of like, why did I do this? And then you go down and it stretches and it, boom, it shoots you back up. I encourage all of you to do it, even to think about, <laughs> man, life is a commitment. And it, that is an incredible commitment. Following Jesus is a full commitment. It is jumping. But you don't jump without the bungee. The Bible is God's incredible gift to us. It's an anchor that says you're not alone. The ideas aren't going here and here. My ideas, my words are right here. It's a path for you. The Bible doesn't save us. But the Holy Spirit, I think God's the main way God speaks to us is through the Bible. They are his words. If you talk to somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, they'll tell you stories of like, man, I read that chapter probably 300 times, but I read it this one time, and it looked completely different for me. If you want to know what God is saying to you, read the Bible. The more we know the truth, the more we are free. N.T. Wright says this. He says, verse 32 in John 8 rings like a great bell through so much of Christian language. Free from sin, free from slavery, free from the law, free from death, free from injustice, free from debt, free from tyranny. It's needed today as much as ever. In all of these senses and more. The way to freedom is through the truth. And what matters, therefore, is to know the truth. Tyranny and slavery of every sort thrive on half-lies and half-truths, evasions and cover-ups. Freedom and truth go hand in hand. The Bible points us back to the truth, to Jesus. Because what does Jesus say about himself in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to be a son and daughter is through Jesus. To know him is the truth. Jesus has come. He has died. He has risen again so that you and me may be free. I hope you will continue to follow him. Let's pray. Father, full commitment to you is a scary thing. It is leaving so much of our past lives behind. So many questions arise. But I first praise you for the gift of the Bible, your word that has stood the test of time, that it is an anchor to our mind, heart, and soul. It gives us a picture of how to live, but more than that, it points to your son who came to this earth to take on the sin you and I deserve. To take on the sin in his body. To die the death that we should have died. So that we can live a life with you. 
to be your son and daughter, to be a child of God, fully known and fully loved. What an amazing truth. What an amazing reality. So we, we thank you for the Bible and we praise you for Jesus. May we continue, those of us who know you, to understand your word, to spend time with you, to grow in our relationship. And to those listening and watching who don't know you, who are still investigating Christianity, I pray you would impress upon their hearts, Lord, that true fulfillment, true meaning, true purpose comes only through Jesus. And when we have him, we are truly free. We thank you for this. We pray all of this in his beautiful name. Amen.